We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to talk about the new shooters that the Lakers added to the squad, specifically Malik Monk and Wayne Ellington. I'd like to start with Ellington. He's somebody that... Again, uh, a common theme on this roster. This is his second tour of duty with the Lakers. And he, one of the things I like about this combo of Ellington and Monk is they go about their shooting in a different way. Ellington is a total technician. He knows how to lean on a guy and run off of a screen. And he's got this great pump fake that sends guys flying. He's a wonderful pull-up shooter. But in terms of the, the skills that you can get better at, in terms of shooting, Wayne Ellington has really added to his game since his last tour of duty with the Lakers, where he knows all the tricks of the trade. Now, he's got a ton of holes in his game, but Darius, when it comes to pure shooters in the NBA, whether it's off of a screen, off of a pull-up jump shot, Wayne Ellington's right up there uh, amongst the better shooters in the game. What do you see that we're getting in him? Look, man, go back and watch the game. It might have been in Detroit where the Lakers played the Pistons. This past season. Yeah, it was Detroit, yeah. Wayne Ellington kicked the Lakers' ass. Him yeah. and Blake Griffin played two-man game. Just all night, it felt like. And handoff action, like rub, cut back, come back around, bounce pass, right? Pump fake, sidestep, another three. Like, oh, you're trying to hold me. I'm faking like I'm cutting back door. Nope, circling back. I'm coming back across. He was really managing space well. And if there's an idea that I think matters with any shooter, it's how do you navigate the labyrinth of perimeter defense and screen navigation in order to get to a spot where you can get your jumper off? And the thing that I've seen from Ellington that I like is he does have a lot of that stuff down. He does know how to move off of the ball. And I think it's super important for a guy who is not like an elite athlete. That's how you stick in this league is I know how to hand fight. I know how to 
rub off at the right angle from from a screen and I know how to then set my feet plant that inside foot if I'm coming to my strong hand or fade and drift if I'm going away from my strong hand and get the shot off with minimal space Ellington what I like about him and Mike you've you've mentioned this on a few different pods but that his shot profile isn't that he's just a camper who is sitting in the weak side corner or strong side corner. He is someone who can shoot from above the break. And I feel like from the Lakers perspective, and Pete, you can get into the X's and O's of this a bit more, but that above the break three is super important for the type of offense that the Lakers run. And so, Mike, do you think that that's one of the more important skills that Ellington brings to the table as a shooter? Like Pete talked about the technical stuff, but I think shot location and where he's comfortable taking and hitting threes from is just as important as his proclivity as a shooter in general. Oh, easily. And there. so let me start, let me start with the Laker game. And that so that game, he went six for nine from three and he only took 12 shots. He scored 20 points. And it was it was one of those games where the Lakers just thought they had going in. And then, yeah, part of it was Blake, but it was a lot of it was Ellington. But I remember doing a story on him during that game because he was the hottest shooter in the league heading into that game. So these are his three point make totals going back like eight games from there. Three for five, seven for 11, four for nine, six for 10, four for six, six for nine, four for eight, and then the six for nine. And that's just from three. So he was on a heater at, at that point in everything. The rim was looking huge. And you could tell by the way that you described Darius. It was like step back to the right, fine, up fake, step inside, boom, around the screen. It didn't matter. And so what I see, forget, we'll, we'll get to this in a second, but forget defense, forget any other weaknesses, just Put him on the court at certain times with LeBron, with Westbrook, with AD, and and just like take advantage of the playbook. He's he opens up all of the offensive coaches yes. in what they want to draw up because you can draw anything you want when a guy is. And again, I don't even care if the shot's going in that much, but just just the threat. So he becomes like in the way that sometimes people think about Corver or Redick. Uh, you know, like a real regular season guy. And I think this shifts in the playoffs some. So I'll, that's where I'll de-emphasize it a little bit. In the regular season, when you got to come in on a night and you have to prepare all these different defensive actions with that guy and you also have these three stars in the court, that's to me um, going to be some some easy money. And, and the Laker coaching staff on the offensive side have to be excited about that, Pete. I've been pining for a three-point shooter that can shoot off of movement for years. This is like year three since we got LeBron, really. Because even though Wayne Ellington will never be the best player on the court for the Lakers, a player who can shoot off of screens and has gravity coming off of it, like if you don't defend it, he's going to kick your ass. That The chain reaction of that is one of the most important and beneficial things that you can have for a half court offense. Like you said, it opens up the playbook. 
he him coming off of a stagger screen or one of the reasons why Darius that he's so prolific above the break is because he usually starts out in the corner but he's receiving a down screen and so he's setting up his defender and I I loved teaching shooting it was one of my favorite things to do when I coach and he's just perfect technique like foot between the defender's legs he's leaning on him with the forearm keeping him on his hip and then he's going to explode off of that going to run tight around that screen so he's going to clip his shoulder on the hip of or you know between the hip and the shoulder of the screen setter not allowing any space for that lock and trail defender to squeeze through the the screener and Ellington and then as he comes off of that he's able to hit that shot if the defender who's now a little bit behind him is going to be frantically trailing because he knows oh crap oh crap I can't let my job is to not let win Ellington shoot that's a scouting report right make him go to the basket it's easier said than done so he's coming off as as fast as he can to try and contest that shot Again, Ellington has one of the best pump fakes in the league from the three-point line. So he's going to use that pump fake, and the guy's going to go flying by. He's going to rip over, have a nice open shot off of that. If that's Anthony Davis setting the screen, and then that's the big guy going, oh, crap, my lock and trail guy is in a bad spot. Or even if he's not, he's got to step up and show higher on that off-ball screen. If that's AD, every once in a while, AD is going to slip that. And one of the things that, I, uh, that really stood out to me from watching Ellington tape is – Every once in a while, he's going to he's gonna make some passes. They're like, wow, that's a really nice pass. And a lot of those come off of his gravity as a shooter. So I am with you, Mike, on the de-emphasis come playoff time. We'll get into that more in the second segment. It has more to do with the defensive end, really. But him, he unlocks. We were rumored to be in the market for another off-screen shooter, who I will not mention over the course of this summer. But... I have been lusting after that type of guy, D, for years and years now, and I think that it just opens up our offense quite a bit. I, I'm fascinated to see what, what his role is, you know, in terms of the minutes he plays, what lineups he plays with, but that type of guy that you really have to account for coming off of a screen, the chain reaction of that is just beautiful. Look, yes. The thing that I'm super interested with Ellington is that the Lakers don't – the Lakers set plenty of screens for shooters – but what they also do is they ask their guards to set a lot of screens because they're mm. because the Lakers' best players are bigger players. LeBron, One of our go-to actions is is a guard setting a screen for how many times did we see KCP set a screen for LeBron in the last three minutes of a close game in a fourth quarter? It happens every game, yes. right? Another one of the Lakers' pet actions is rather than is they put AD in the corner, right? And so and then initiate to brawn at the elbow right and then that guard comes and sets he takes the right angle and then he sets that screen for ad in the corner and ad rolls to to the basket and that's been a pet play for the lakers basically since vogel came on board and it was usually caruso who set that screen or sometimes it would be Rondo. Last year, it would be Dennis a lot that set that screen. But none of those guys are shooters. And so the idea of setting that screen is more like, okay, we know what's happening here. They're trying to get AD rolling to, to the basket. And how the Lakers would beat that sometimes is that AD would fade that screen instead. And he would pop to the corner. And now it's AD shooting a clean corner three. Well, you set that screen with a real shooter, a shooter, the quality of Wayne Ellington, 
And now defending that action gets a lot harder because what defenses love to do is they love to put both players in the paint, right? And so, oh, my man, if I'm defending Alex Caruso and Alex Caruso goes to set that screen, I'm standing like in the dunker spot as Alex's defender. And I'm saying, all right, when AD comes off that screen, I'm chipping him and I'm trying to hold him up. So that it's, it's no question which guy you're going to go toward in that circumstance, right? Where do I shift my attention from and who do I shift it to? Obvious answer when it's Wayne Ellington, much less. Well, when it's Wayne Ellington, you still might say, well, holy shit, guys, this is Anthony Davis about to roll downhill. I have to stop him. Right. Anthony Davis getting a dunk is probably that's the best play in the league right right. there. Right. If Anthony Davis could dunk every time he got down the floor, he'd be Wilt Chamberlain. Basically, he'd score 50 points a game. So stopping that is still super important. And that's what opens up Ellington after setting that screen flaring back to to the corner. And it sets up all of these great potential two man game operations between Ellington and the guy you're trying to get downhill and rolling to the basket. You mentioned Kyle Korver earlier. Well, that was that action right there is a pet action from the old Cavs playbooks when they had Kevin Love and they had LeBron and they had Korver and they'd run that same exact action and it would be Love and Korver who would play two-man game in in that corner. Now both of those guys were shooting threats, but the ability to slip out of that or set oh, one yes. guy screens for another, or it looks like I'm going to screen, but now we flop and I, and now the big man is setting a screen for me instead. And I'm popping to, to the corner. There's all kinds of little tricks that you can play with that action and getting Ellington involved in screen actions where he's the purported screener rather than the screen receiver, that can also open up a ton of stuff within the Lakers playbook that they've tried to run in the past, right? But not to the same success that they have before. And so, yeah, man, get Ellington setting screens for LeBron, get him setting screens for Russell Westbrook, get him setting screens for Anthony Davis and see how that opens up shots for him. And that's just another element within the playbook that I know the Lakers coaches, I'm sure, are salivating over. Like, how can we get this guy open looks? The other thing I think about with the Lakers specifically, and when you have a Lakers team with expectations to win, is that there's a lot of pressure to make shots and a lot of pressure to make open shots. And this is where I like the fact that Wayne Ellington is 33. You know, Ariza's 36. Melo, and, you know, we're going to talk about Monk in a second, but these, I, I just... I like that Ellington has the confidence in his shot in multiple places now where I just don't think a cold spell is going to get to him. And he's played for the Lakers before. And he played, by the way, with Kobe Bryant. Now, it wasn't that many games. I think Kobe played 36 games or something, I want to say. Um, I'd have to I'd have to fact check myself uh, that, that season, and I'll, I'll do that in a second. But that, I don't know, maybe that, for me – I think that gives you something else where he's because we've seen players these last couple of years fall into some of these slumps. And that even included a guy like KCP, um, who isn't as far from a rookie, but where those swings kind of could get there. So I that that settles me some also about Ellington in the shooting. No, that's a great point. And I think that 
I actually think it's very possible that Ellington does hit a cold spell, but what I think is unlikely is that you see a, a team-wide cold spell to the degree that we saw last season. If, if he, Ellington, he'll hit one, but I'm just saying he'll hit one, but I don't think he's going to worry about it that much. That's all I'm saying. That's a great point, and he will always have gravity. There will be no point, like he could be 0 for 5 from 3. There's no point where it's like, ah, leave Ellington open. That's It's not going to happen. And Okay, I was off a game. It was 35 games from Kobe. Great memory, great memory. My concern, though, is on the defensive end. So let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about Malik Monk and then both of these guys on the defensive end. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So Malik Monk is a different type of shooter than Wayne Ellington. He's a much better athlete. Um, He's smaller than Ellington, but the way that he gets his shots, he is an electric scorer. He's one of those guys that when he's on, he, he's more similar to Ben McLemore, who we had last year, who, when we get to the defensive end, we'll, we'll talk some McLemore as well and, and make some parallels. But Monk is a guy who was a lottery pick in Charlotte. Then with the additions of Terry Rozier, Devontae Graham, uh, LaMelo Ball, he found himself as the fourth guard. And I was actually very surprised that he signed with us on a vet minimum deal. I'm actually very curious about his playing time and what that looks like, because this was one of the things we talked about a couple pods ago, where if you're 23 years old, you're playing for your next contract. You're playing for the ability to continue in the NBA and Will he get the amount of opportunities and touches and ability to showcase what he does? That said, he's somebody who is 
again, when he's on, he's an electric scorer. He's somebody who get he gets his shot up very quickly. He's got good footwork. And one of the things that I like is if he has a runway, he has he's a lob threat. So a lot of times, the last couple of years, teams would jam us up D on our stagger screens. They would top lock those and not let the shooter use the screen, whether that was KCP, Avery Bradley, Danny Green, none of whom were really threats to come off of screens and and knock those down to the level that Monk and especially Ellington is. Monk is okay on those. He's not great, but he's he's good. Um, if you play too aggressively on Ellen or on Monk, he's got really good feel as a cutter and a back cutter and a good athlete in space. Now he's small. If he's got any congestion or traffic in there, there's not going to be much in that respect. But uh, a curious, what are your thoughts on Malik Monk? You covered a lot of it there, man. Like to me, we were talking in a different pod, I think about like Palinka's philosophy around players and, um, I had mentioned that they fall into a couple of different categories and Monk to me fits the first category, which is a talent play. And I'm going to bring up another football reference, but Al Davis, he used to be owner of the Raiders and was also like a very good football guy. And so he was not only the owner, but he was someone who would influence personnel decisions for the Raiders. And Al Davis used to talk about how if there was a first round pick who like, or a high level guy who sort of didn't make it with his first team, he would always give, he would seek out those guys and he would give them a second chance with the Raiders in this idea that talent always is sort of there. And maybe it just takes a different opportunity or a different location in, in order to bring that, that out. Now, Monk started to show flashes last season. And so if he had a good season for the Lakers this year, I don't think it would be a surprise. It would probably look like a continuation of what he did for the Hornets last season. But Monk was not good his first couple of years in the league. He was sort of, I don't want to say looked at as a bust, but he just didn't show what he showed at Kentucky his backcourt partner, De'Aaron Fox, it really has sort of taken off as a young star within this league. And so when I look at Monk, I think, man, he's got a lot of tools as a scorer and he can really get hot and influence a game from behind the arc. And even as a downhill scorer, I'm not sure how much that translates to a consistent role on this Lakers team, but he is definitely sort of that wild arm in the bullpen that you're just like, okay, well, let's bring out this dude who throws a hundred and, and let's, let's call on him and let's see if, if he can do something for us. Now, Mike, if that's indeed his role, What interests me is what I brought up a few pods ago is when we were talking about Bazemore is how does that sort of maybe inconsistency of role translate to performance? Because the Lakers have a lot of guards now and they have a lot of guys. We just waxed poetically on Ellington and how valuable his skill as a shooter is. Well, Monk isn't quite the professional shooter that Ellington is, but he's got some professional scorer chops that the Lakers would be wise to invest in. But how much do you invest 
in that when you've got Anthony Davis and LeBron James, like this isn't developmental time. This is let's go win a championship time. And if I have any concerns about Monk, it's that, hey, is he going to get squeezed here because he is a little bit more of a wild card rather than an X factor, if that distinction makes sense. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of excited to, to talk about Monk. I'm excited to see him play. But let me start, if I can, with a, with a quick story. So I was just in Summer League, and w- I sat down to do a one-on-one with Austin Reeves that will probably be out on my Twitter by the time this, this goes up. And Austin Reeves is from a tiny little town in Arkansas. Also from Arkansas, close to his age, actually exactly the same age, uh, is Malik Monk. And so these two met in the championship game the state championship game when they were freshmen. No kidding. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, I have a link to it in the story, but there's a cool photo of it of freshman year, Austin Reeves trying to defend freshman year Malik Monk. And so Reeves's team was this like this lit. So it was him, his best friend, they were freshmen and they both had older brothers that were juniors and his older brother, Austin Reeves, older brother now plays professionally in Germany and so like those two could ball their friends could ball and then they had a sophomore who was the other guy and so they were like the all-time chemistry cohesion team knew exactly where they were going and they just beat teams like with now they were it wasn't like they weren't athletic at all but anyway so I'm asking him about this game and he's like oh man here I'll just read the quote we played them twice that year we beat them both times it was but if it was a one-on-one matchup he definitely killed me we played them in the state finals I think he had like 27 as a freshman Um, he played really well and so I said, yeah, I mean, Monk at the time, right, he was already starting to get all this natural national attention. And, of course, he ends up going to Kentucky. So Reeves goes on. He says, yeah, top five, I think. We probably shouldn't have won that game. And his brother, like, got white hot, scored 29 in the second half. But So I can't wait to then ask Monk about it. But the point is, like, the pedigree for, for this kid goes, goes back. And there's some – now I'm going to compare him in a way to Kuzma to answer the question. So Kuzma didn't have the pedigree. But we watched him at Summer League. We watched him early that season. And, oh, this guy can score. Like, this guy's got some stuff. He's got weaknesses. He's not really doing much on defense. You know, I don't know about the consistency, but there's this talent that popped out, even though it, it happened in a different way. And, and that's part of what I'm kind of thinking when Monk comes in. And there's going to be some spots where he's got a little more burst than you think. Like he, can, he was a dunker yeah. for a while. And now we think about him with the shooting last year. But so there's going to be some stuff that we see. But at 23, think about how much better Kuzma got at the other stuff by sitting in the film room with LeBron and with all now the other five Hall of Famers that are on the roster. And so I'm curious to see what he, he didn't have a lot of vets. He was one of the older players in Charlotte. He didn't have a lot of vets there. Yeah. And so that's where I don't, I don't know how it's going to look early. I think we'll more see it in spots. Oh, well, okay. He had, he had 20 in a preseason game. Like that's exciting. But then he had two the next game, but what, what parts of the talent there can be grown can be what parts of that plant can be watered. And can that develop to the point where by playoff time, there is kind of a consistent spot for him to come in and contribute like that. That's why I'm excited and curious because there is plenty of talent there uh, that can, that can be utilized. And his circumstances are so different. You really covered uh, a big portion of that with the difference in vets that we have versus – and I think that's part of the reason he signed here, right, is that ability to be – he mentioned that in his uh, 
in his introductory press conference was the being in this environment was a real opportunity for him of the guys that I met that day. He was probably the person that impressed me the most. Just uh, I'm very intrigued by Monk and why he, why he's here, what he wants to do in his time here from watching tape on him. He shoots like not all 40% shooters are created equal. This dude shoots really difficult threes or at least did in Charlotte. And he shot more of them than he should have. When he gets a good shot that is open, I don't know, the type of shots that LeBron James and Russell Westbrook and even to an extent Anthony Davis create, that dude is money. And I think that he is going to be an important, if nothing else, if he's an important regular season player, We've so many of these pods have been like, oh, we got this OG Trevor Ariza and Carmelo Anthony and even a Dwight Howard and... Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, all these older players, a guy who can run and fill a lane and and just has some burst to carry us through those 82 games, Darius, even if he doesn't have playoff value, I think that that will have value for the playoffs, even if it's a, a if it's less direct and more toward the other players on the team. A few pods ago, you asked me, what style of play do I see the Lakers playing? And I said, this team is built to run. Right. Well, of all of the guys that the Lakers signed this offseason, right, there's Russ. Obviously, you think of like, oh, that dude. Yeah, he's built to run. Right. After that, none. I like his transition game. Baysmore. I like Baysmore in transition. Yeah. Baysmore in transition. Monk to me, he's Mm -hmm. the guy who excites me the most when I think of transition stuff out of all of the free agent acquisitions, Russ is obviously the guy who excites me the most, but I'm thinking of lineups where we've talked about like, Oh, who's going to start. And like all of these guys are a given, right? Like there's three guys who are a given and who are the other two guys, right? Well, imagine a lineup with LeBron and AD and Russ and then Malik Monk. And the transition opportunities that exist with that sort of team and the shot creation ability that exists with that sort of lineup and the idea of, all right, man, like, who are you going to guard? Like, how do you take it all away? And I get like, oh, well, spacing and oh shrink the floor like i get it and i'm 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 using a tone there that sort of is like mocking those ideas well yeah that stuff's a lot easier when the defense is set and when you've got a bunch of time to set up well what if you don't have time to get set what if you're scrambling in early offense situations and what if you're like oh okay well suddenly you've got some cross-matched power forward who's running back and the first guy up the court is Malik Monk that used to happen for KCP too and he would sprint deep corner and it's just like okay well first guy back you better get out there right LeBron is throwing ahead this upcoming season LeBron's going to be throwing ahead still Russ is going to throw ahead still right and these guys a guy like Monk excites me within the context of he is like I said a wild card you don't exactly know what he's going to do on any given possession and that uncertainty while it can work against you and I think we need to be cautious of looking at all of this stuff through upside only and not downside right because there's downside to a lot of this stuff too but the upside in some of these acquisitions monk especially 
is super intriguing to me because when you look at the baseline level of talent that the Lakers already have, throwing in a guy like this who is super talented, who who is still finding his way in the league, if he starts to put it together a little bit more and can build on his last season, you may have something here. And it's one of those good problems to have, Mike, where it's just like, oh, yeah, let's go to Malik Monk and maybe he gets another Maybe he gets a a second or a third shift this game because he's got it going. And the talent you can call on then can really be a difference in a mid-February game where maybe the rest of the legs for those vets are tired. But here's 23, 24-year-old Malik Monk just, hey, I got energy for days. No question. And and like that's with, with Monk and the whole way that he played last year in Charlotte, I also... I also don't know if that was optimal for him. But then then we get to the point where, all right, if you're in your fourth year, there's a part of whatever you do that it's your job to make the coach put give you those spots. So mm-hmm. there is – this is where – this is kind of get back, gets back to the cautionary part of this where if, if Charlotte wanted to keep him, then they probably would have done something different, either played him more or, you know, they would have done something while he was there. So they're – not everything was great, uh, and that's that's part of it that we have to acknowledge. Anytime you pick up a guy that is off of a rookie deal, that it's not all just roses. You have to kind of understand that not there are some all. thorns there. Yeah, I think he's a specialist. He's a shooter. He's a guy who can put the ball in the bucket and doesn't contribute a ton in other aspects of the game. There's a place for that in the league. It's just a question of – where is that? And I think on a team like like ours, where we have so many shot creators, Malik Monk will make the types of shots that our shot creators create. He also has a little bit of ability to put the ball on the deck and adds to that whole idea I was talking about that our dribbling just across the board is is really improved. That said, though, the defensive end, and this applies to Monk and Ellington, I don't I don't know who these guys guard in the playoffs, to be perfectly frank. I think Ellington just by virtue of his size, is likelier. He can chase guys off of screens, but in the playoffs, especially when I anticipate we'll be switching a decent amount, that is a skill that matters, but not as much because you're not in as many drop coverages in the different uh, lock and trail situations that you you aren't in defenses that require lock and trails. Where are you at on that? Because from watching tape on them, I I don't see the playoff translation, but maybe I'm being harsh there. No, these guys aren't good defenders. Like, I'm, I mean, we sound like a broken record on all of these pods, but yeah. Mike made this point a few pods ago, and it's going to be the point that we make all season, is that the guys who were available for the Lakers to get, they skew way more offense, and those are the guys that were out there. And those were the guys who came on minimum contracts. And if you could get an effective two-way player who was going to be a high-level playoff contributor on both sides of the ball – and you could get them for the minimum, then you probably cheated in some way, shape, or like, I, I don't know. That's like 2K stuff, right? Or your best friends with the agent. Like, I honestly don't know how you how those guys are available. They're not. And so the Lakers clearly made a calculation. Like, we're going to get offensive players. These are the guys who are available, but they're also the highest talent plays that we could get for this and so who are they going to guard i mean they're gonna try to guard the guy in front of them they're probably not going to be very good at it sorry i 
don't know what to say about that. The part that interests me more is how quickly, how quickly can they adapt to the team defense concepts, right? How do your job type stuff. Yes. yes like, are you going to be in the right place? Are you going to make the right rotation? Right. Or are you and, or are you and your other wing teammate who are on the weak side, are you not going to X out correctly? Are you both going to run to the same guy? Are you where you're supposed to be on the back line? Are you boxing out? Are you tagging appropriately? Are you tagging and recovering? Are you making all the in-play rotations that help string out a defensive possession where you then let your better defensive players thrive when they need to? Because This is where our success lies, yes. Because if you can't do those things, you're not going to play. At all. It's like, sorry, I don't care how explosive you are offensively. I don't care how many shots you can make. Frank Vogel is basically going to say, who can I trust to not mess up a defensive possession? And if you could be one of those players who he can trust to not mess up, like you don't got to go out there and be freaking Tony Allen defensively. What you need to do is be the guy who doesn't show up on tape over and over and over again as the dude who's being spotlighted as the guy who can't be trusted. And that's what's going to be important for all of these dudes. So, by the way, good professional broadcasting by you guys because my my uh, one-year-old just came in here and was making all kinds of giggly faces in the, and you guys just kept straight forward going while making smiles at the baby. So respect to you for that. I was thinking <laughs> as, you were, as you were doing that, there – so – there are these different ways and schemes, right, that, that the Lakers can come up with, that Frank Vogel certainly can come up with, to either hide or just protect the players that have these deficiencies you're talking about. But I think you're right. When it comes down to it, the easier thing to do is just play the guy that's a little bit worse on offense, but you don't have to worry about it on defense. And that's that's why so, like, I sometimes think about before the Lakers got good, and when they had all the young guys and there's something about Josh Hart that I really liked in this instance, because I'm like, you know what? I just kind of feel like I can trust him defensively and offensively. Sure. You know, he might be streaky and he might miss a bunch of shots, but there's just something about him in that setting where I might prefer. And maybe Bazemore is the equivalent, even though he's a vet now where like I there's that guy in the playoffs that I don't have to take off the floor because the other coach isn't going to hunt him. And that is that right there is what the Lakers have less of this year than what they had last year. And that's the whole formula that we saw work around LeBron and AD. And now this is shifted. So are do they have enough of those guys? And we right now, you know, it doesn't seem like Ellington and Monk are going to be in that category. The last pod that we did, Ariza and Mello. Now, maybe Ariza, you know, but like Mello, no. So are there enough guys there? And if not, does the offense overwhelm? And is it just fine because of that? Maybe. And if the answer is no to both of those things, that's when you got to figure out if there's a trade to be made around the next trade deadline. And you know what? we got to have one more guy. Frank Vogel says, I need one more guy who I can trust and I can just leave out there defensively. And and that's how you go about it. But it's this is these are this is fine. Like they they may have enough right now to win the title. And if not, we should know by the point that they can do something about it. And so I, that's overall why I will continue to feel good 
about what the situation is. And it's just it's interesting to look at it through the lens of Ellington and Monk and think about all of the stuff we just discussed. A hundred percent. And when you zoom out, there hasn't been a version of the Lakers roster that at this point of the season, and even as we record this, we have open roster spots, but there hasn't been even on opening night, the same team that ended up in the playoffs. So there are more moves likely to be made more. And like you said, Mike, that first part of the season is seeing how it all works together. I'm sure they've had countless hours between Polinka and Vogel and LeBron and AD and all of the different leaders on the team theorizing how this guy will fit in just as we are. But seeing it on the court, you see how, you know, 70% of it is correct, but maybe 30% of it is not, or it's a little bit different than you anticipated. And we will be in the position to make adjustments to, to fill in the holes that I think that, that, that we have. Your point about trust, though, is something that I don't think that that people realize how important that is for a coach of just like, can I trust you to be in the right spot? And while you can scheme to a certain degree, there are so many there are so many situations in an NBA game where it's just up to the player to make the correct decision. Like the coach can draw it up and be like, you're supposed to go here. But there are so many scramble situations and so many points where you not only have to apply the scheme, but also in the moment be like, oh, this, the ball moved from here to there to that guy. And therefore I need to be dropping down because this guy's a lob threat. You know, I've got, I've got twin six-year-olds, as we all know, I I can teach them. I can try, I can tell them how many times don't pee on the toilet seat, bro. Okay. (laughs) Pick it up. And if you do, it, we, all, we all drip a little bit. That's fine. Wipe it away. Uh, they're still six. It's I get it. It's cool. But by the time they get to be the age of like Darius's oldest, we're going to have a problem if we're still pee on the toilet seat every time I sit down on it. And, and I trust a 33-year-old Wayne Ellington to not pee on the toilet seat more than a 23-year-old Malik Monk. That is the point I was getting at. So thank you for a, a perfect analogy for that. This idea, too, of where is the absence of mistakes going to come from? And that idea of trust is also, it comes down to instincts. Like, what are your basketball instincts? And when it's time to make a play in front of you, can you actually summon the timing and and the experience and, and the know-how that is out there in the ether? Can you grab it and apply it to yourself and say, I'm there to make the play? And Vogel in the championship season, he trusted two or three guys to make those plays and he was rewarded with that trust. Last season, we all know that things did not go as he would have liked. And I think that he, by the end of the season, in in that last game six, he was searching still for guys that he could trust because he had gone through an entire year and never really quite found it because of injury, because of roster turn turnover and and all of that. And so we will see if he finds guys that he deems have that in them to trust because I think what, that's one of Vogel's best qualities is he is as that when he believes in you that belief is not going to die. It's not going to be extinguished. And he will follow you into the fire and say, I'm right here with you. I believe in you. Go get the job done. I know that you can. And to Mike's point, I'll be interested to see if by the time the trade deadline comes, he might be up in Rob's office and saying, I don't have enough of these guys. 
that I can trust. And that's the interesting part of the coaching lens and everything that we're doing now and how it's going to play out in September and October and then hopefully into June. That's exactly what this first part of the season is for, is answering those questions. And so this wraps up, at least for now, the our little general overviews of the new guys that we acquired. We're not going to do a pod on Dwight, although we'll talk about him certainly throughout the season. Laker fans are pretty familiar with with his game, although, you know, two years ago, things things do change. Next week's going to be Westbrook week. We're going to get into our five most burning questions and subtopics on Westbrook and, and really get in the weeds, because as we talk about all of the role players that we talked about this week, they're all important. They will all have a job and, and a place in the story of the Lakers season. In my eyes, Russell Westbrook is far and away the biggest X factor in how this season goes and how he performs and how well he fits in is more important than probably all of those guys combined. So I'm really excited to get more into the weeds on him and we'll do that next week on the Laker Film Room Podcast. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Brian, 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 Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.